Hi, Vinod. How are you? Oh, excited to be here. Yeah. Um, me too. So um, we, got a, we got some time here to have a conversation. Um, I think, for me, this is a great opportunity to be able to pick your brain and, and sort of hear your thoughts. So I, I'd like to start the conversation off broad and just kind of ask, um, as an investor, when you look at what's going on in the world, I think for the rest of us, it's hard to keep up with what's happened in the past 24 hours, let alone the big picture. So just love to hear your thoughts, I think, on, on what the macro trends are in the world and, and what the impact of that well, is. Well, you know, so in 40 years I've been doing this, I've never called myself an investor, just so you know. <laughs> My apologies. <laughs> uh, I, 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 I like to say I'm in the business of anticipating and trying to make the future happen and being in the business of assisting entrepreneurs mm -hmm. to that. And that's a lot of fun. Um, what's happening in the world really, really uh, creates opportunities for us. Uh, you know, it was five years ago, 2018, that we decided to invest in OpenAI. Mm -hmm. And by the way, we'd invested in deep learning startup five years before then, 10 years ago. And probably 12, 13 years ago, I was writing about the role AI could play in society. Mm -hmm. So anticipating these and then helping entrepreneurs build these companies is what's really, really exciting. Yeah. So you were ahead of the curve there, it sounds like. Well, uh, willing to take more risks. Fair enough. <laughs> there were other people who believed it weren't willing to put their bets on it. Yeah. So, um, so let's get into AI for a second. I think uh, Deerge made a comment earlier, which I thought was really interesting. Uh, when he was talking about, about the product, he said... He said, uh, "Data. Plenty of people have data. Data is not knowledge, right? So when I when I look at what's happening with AI and and just just let's say the past year or two of the hockey stick of what you've been looking at for a decade now, um, I you know I think of wave one of of the internet as being democratizing access to to information. And wave two, in my mind, was really about democratizing access to publishing. It feels like AI is is." following that curve of its democratizing access to reasoning and to analysis and turning data into knowledge. And creativity. And, and right, so near and dear to my heart, creativity as well. Um, so just, I'm curious from your perspective, as you prognosticate forward, what is that impact of broad access to cheap analysis, creativity, yeah. reasoning do for us? So in every direction we can think of where we have human capability, we'll be able to expand it and enhance it, whether it's productivity or creativity or other things. I'll tell you my fun story about uh, how many people think of me as a rapper. I hope no hands go up. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you're mistaken. But my daughter got married in May, and you know, you, the father does a little speech, and so I, wrote my thoughts down, what I wanted to convey, and this is what Scott was talking about, the core of these things is always humanity. Mm -hmm. It was a very personal message. But then I entered that into ChatGPT and said, do me some rap lyrics. And that was awesome. Uh, it produced great lyrics. And then I entered into an AI called Splash AI, which, by the way, is the only AI has, has no commercial music it has trained on. So from scratch training, and we started this five years ago. So the reason we have an IP-free model is we started it five years ago and not go on the net and start training on YouTube videos. Uh, 
but uh, my, my point was then I entered this thing in the lyrics into Splash AI, and wow, there was a rap song that was pretty high quality. Somebody thought I'd hired a professional musician to just to rap it for me. But expanding human creativity, letting them do, I, I had the thoughts, the core, but then expanding its reach to do things I couldn't possibly have done myself is the way you should think about AI and uh, in creativity. Obviously, it has applications in productivity. Most people don't anticipate this, but I have a prediction that uh, 20 years from now, there'll be a billion bipedal robots in existence powered by AI intelligence. Mm. Now think about it. That's the scale of human labor that humanity together can put together. And it's a much bigger business than the auto business, but nobody's thinking about it in the auto business. Mm. Like there's this other massive thing other than uh, Elon Musk has Tesla bought, but right. people aren't generally thinking about what might happen. They think about the past and look at extrapolating the past. I think it's much more fun to invent the future you want. So you're saying don't bet against Elon Musk. Is that, is that what I'm hearing? <laughs> no, I'm saying don't let your imaginations be constrained by what has happened in the past. Fair enough. So, um, so you, you mentioned uh, uh, Splash AI, is that mm -hmm. right? right? That it's trained on... on it's like a mid-journey for music. Right, but train, trained on licensed or, or licensable music, cleanly, yeah. so. Very clean, in fact, right. most of it, we have hundreds of thousands of stems we've authored ourselves oh, under contract. So, so obviously it's near and dear to my heart, you know, the, all the stuff that Scott showed earlier, that is all built on Firefly, which is our product at Adobe, which follows the same model. It's designed to be safe for commercial use, trained on all licensed content, mm -hmm. public domain content. Um, but this is, I think, uh, this question of what does AI train on, and just the, the, the conflict between Western ideas of IP and the way AI is developing is, is a bit at odds right now. So I'm curious your thoughts on how that evolves. I, I think it's at odds because there's ambiguity, mm -hmm. okay? Five years ago, we knew we had to create our own IP for music, especially since the RIA is very litigious. Mm -hmm. So we decided to do our own a music model. Uh, my wife runs a nonprofit called Seeker12.org. Beautiful idea. They're building AI tutors so every kid on the planet can have their own tutor. Mm. And education will be a big area for AI. But what's interesting is three years ago, I worked with the lawyers. It's an open source product. It's a nonprofit, all that. But we added to the open source product uh, a specific license condition that prohibited derivative works, including AI models. Mm. So we took this content we had authored, we spent a lot of money you know, authoring all the content that you might need in STEM education from sixth through 12th grade. And then we added this license term that says you can't train an AI model on it. Uh, as far as I know, it's the only license that actually has this kind of term and the Wilson-Sansini lawyers were surprised I was trying to do this three years ago. Uh -huh. But this was anticipated. Um, and to, you know, without going and taking time into the details, last, I think last Friday, I submitted to the Copyright Office because they have a comment period open for how copyright law should change. Right. So I have a piece on copyright law and my view of how we should treat copyrights. 
I think we should treat it the same way we treat other copyright. We treat your production of something and my production of something as to its similarity to determine if it was copied. Mm -hmm. And I think the same should apply to AI. And For the output of AI, you're saying? From the output of AI, not the input models. Because right. uh, there isn't a musician or an artist who didn't train on other people's music and art. Right. right? You can't say I, you know, there was a recent piece in uh, The Economist on this artist, Gaston. He said, I just learned so much from all these other pieces of art. Everybody does that, every human. And an AI should be able to do that. Mm -hmm. But the output should be judged on its similarity or not to something. So um, this, this contract that you, the, these license terms you wrote, which said this cannot be used for AI, that's a good example of. Uh, Derivative works, including AI models. Right. So it's a good example of, of your understanding and the way we write these terms catching up with the new world we're in. I heard you mention in a, in a re recent talk, um, among other macro trends, is the, the competition with China, mm -hmm. especially around the world of AI. Um, China has different, different views on IP. Do you feel like, uh, like us putting those terms in place puts us at a disadvantage with respect to, uh, to China? And then if we do that, which I'm a big believer in, how do we then, how do we navigate the difference between protecting human work and competing in that so space? You have to ask, what's the purpose of copyright law? What's mm -hmm. the work, uh, purpose of patent law? is to increase investment in these areas so more products are produced, and hence society benefits. Mm -hmm. You know, the laws weren't put in place so you would benefit or I would benefit. It would be, there would be more work for creativity, more time and investment in these things because they were productive to its producer and they could then uh, afford to spend their time on it and society would benefit. Mm -hmm. I think that's a very, very good guideline for what uh, AI, how AI should be treated. Now, the issue of China is a whole different thing. You know, they don't follow the law. I think we are in a very clearly a techno-economic war with China that we have to win, and I don't want to trust my future to Xi uh, or to Putin or any of the bad nation states. Mm. So I've been very, very clear, I think we should even uh, stop things like open sourcing, because who would think of, say, we should open source the Manhattan Project? Mm. It makes no sense when we are in a war, if you acknowledge the war, which I do, and many, most people do, uh, to do that. Uh, it's like uh, university academics naively calling for more transparency. I had a tweet on the Stanford Transparency Initiative just this early this morning. like. Uh, but the idea that we can always have transparency and let the Chinese steal everything we do is just a bad social idea. Uh, and we are in a war, and it will matter. Uh, and there's no question. You know, we have an election coming up. I've talked to so many officials in the White House. There will be tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions of bots engineered by nation states to affect the election next year. Now, that's a massive danger not academic things. Right. Do you see uh, any investments we should be making now to be able to protect against that or defend Well, I do think uh, the federal government should invest a lot more in safety research mm -hmm. and detection of AI. You know, people always, again, this is sort of so naive, people talk about international treaties. 
Well, if somebody used a nuclear bomb, you ver you, it's verifiable. They used it, you can feel it. If they engineered a bio-warfare gene, the uh, organism, you know it when it's used. There is no verifiability of international treaties in AI. And that's why international treaties will not be possible. It's like saying, I'll trust Putin to abide by the law. So, so I, 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 uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't take this opportunity to talk about some of the work that Scott just spoke about that we're doing with our content authenticity initiative, which is two-pronged two approach. Number one, we can invest deeper into detection of use in AI. But the other piece, which is, I think, a little bit more technically achievable in the short term, is to create a verifiable chain of evidence to show when AI was not used, and then train and, and create uh, the expectation among the public that that chain of evidence be there in situations where, where it matters, right? So I, that's just a plug for, uh, for that, the investment. No, I think there. that's a great thing. That's true generally in everything we do. Mm -hmm. So even supply chains are becoming more, uh, there's more provenance in the supply chain. Yeah. If you claim you have sustainably recycled fabric for your jacket, there's, there's a supply chain that you can uh, follow. And it's, it's sad, you know, whenever you see that recycle symbol uh, on, on things, there's about 5% recycling and 95% junk in behind that symbol. Yeah. So 95% of that stuff is not actually recycled. It's recyclable, but not recycled. So provenance is going to, uh, and fundamentally, the general notion of trust in society is going to be a major issue. We're talking about nobody knows what's true in Gaza or not. You know, the Twitter has just become a disaster zone of misinformation. Yep. Um, so trust matters. Society operates on trust, and I think without trust, we will lose a lot. Uh, we won't be able to trust anybody. We won't be able to do any trades. We won't be able to say, I want to buy a garment that's recycled, uh, that kind of thing. So absolutely. One thing I'll add to that, um, you know, with the work we've been doing with the, the Content Authenticity Initiative, there's two pieces that I think we need to change, and it, it's very interesting to draw that into other places like supply chain. Number one is to create that um, chain of evidence to make sure that it is there in a verifiable, cryptographic, you know, secure way. But the other piece that's really important, which I think you get at with the recycling symbol, is make it consumable. So that the average consumer, and I put myself yeah. in this bucket, can look at something and see that symbol and instantly understand what it means and trust that symbol to be backed by verifiable data. Yeah, so I think there you're touching on something that I think broadly will be applicable and fits in directly with the DevRev thing. Uh, I like to say, so I make predictions. I have 10, 10 of my current favorite predictions. Uh, billion bipedal robots is just one of them. I do think we will have a billion programmers within 10 years, a billion programmers on this planet, because you will be programming in natural language. Right? And, and DevRev is all about this, yeah. right? Effortless is a perfect uh, connection to the core brand values, so to speak. Uh, so any of these kinds of questions, uh, you know, there's some downsides to it, but every human being here will have 10 or 20 agents running around the net doing things for them, verifying that if, if this recycled garment is actually recycled would be one of them. Mm -hmm. You and I wouldn't have the time to go trace down the supply chain for that, 
Uh, I can go to the ASG website and get smattering of it. But an agent will be able to do that. If I want something programmed for me, which is only bring me things that do X, uh, which is sort of the Deborah model, it'll be a natural language conversation. I think the notion of computer applications will mostly go away. You won't need to know how to use Salesforce or SAP. You'll talk to a natural language, and they'll pick this piece from SAP, access the system, that piece from Salesforce, get more information in the account, and answer your question in natural language. Now you're a programmer. That's what most of IT does. Produce me this report. Well, no, no more SQL needed. Yeah. So um, you mentioned the name of the conference, Effortless. So I'll, I'll take this moment to dig on something, again, I heard you say recently, I just thought was really interesting, which was that one of the potential consequences of AI is, uh, I think the quote was, uh, source of human motivation is at risk. Uh, I'm curious if you can elaborate that on how does AI threaten that and where do we find motivation? Uh, so in, last in night I sent a report, uh, a message to my chief of staff, and I said, there's this whole thing about a dystopian AI world. And I'm imagining a utopian AI world. Mm -hmm. So let's do a blog on that, some more coming. Uh, but look, take the rap song I did. It expanded my repertoire. It made me do things that I couldn't do. I think thinking about it in a dystopian way is a failure of imagination. You know, most people, and many of you may have seen this tweet from me, most people are limited not by what they can do, but what they think they can do. Mm. Right? So motivation, imagination, allowing you to try things is important, but we are adding this AI tool that dramatically expands that capability of what you can do. I think uh, I'm, I'm really excited about how much we will enable human beings, people like me to do rap and people, other people to do art. And so uh, one more question. I hope, by the way, that we'll be sharing the rap song with everyone here. I don't know. Yes? OK, great. Clearly they want to hear it. Uh, if not, we can, uh, I can probably go ask AI to reproduce it myself, actually. Um, OK, so last question. So you don't have the core human element of it. The message I crafted that, you know, yesterday I was, uh, day before yesterday, I was at the Wall Street Journal conference. And I said, being human will become much more important. Mm -hmm. You know. For the vast majority, look, the reality is the vast majority of the 7 billion humans don't get to indulge in their imagination. Their job is get to the station at an automotive assembly line and mount this one tire eight hours a day for 30 years in a row. That's the reality of humanity. I've seen uh, humanity in India. Uh, people don't have freedom to even do the very basic things, I think humanity will become much more empowered and much more uh, important too. I, so I agree with you, and I'll tell a quick anecdote, and then last question. Um, back, I had a friend years ago who was a, uh, I saw some of his photography. He was a fantastic photographer, but he told me he had stopped taking photos. And I asked him why, he said, because he had come to the conclusion that a beautiful photo wasn't interesting, a photo that told a story was what mattered. And this was before the rise of digital uh, cameras and you know, camera in every, in every pocket. But when we hit that precipice and suddenly photos were everywhere, I understood what he meant. That now I can see, I can go on my phone, I can see streams of beautiful photos going by. 
the humanity of the story being told was more important. And as we've gotten into this world of, of uh, digital image creation through AI, I see the same thing happening, not just with photos, but with all imagery and all content, which is the ability to create beautiful content is becoming democratized. What's not democratized is that human element of the story that you tell. So I, I agree that that will not only continue to be important and more accessible to people, but probably th that scarcity will become even more valuable as a result. So last question. Um, you mentioned uh, you have this, you, you want to adopt the utopian view of AI. Um, so we are in the middle of clearly a big boom of excitement and hype. There will be ups and downs. Every one of these technology booms goes through And cycles. they will have bad uses like election interference. Yes. So, so the question for you is from your perspective of years of understanding and finding entrepreneurs and, and, and developing them and looking at sort of what the future looks like, how do we identify when we look at the crop of what's being done today, what are, the, are there any telltale signs you look at to say these are the ones that are going to survive the test of time? You know, many, many metrics to that. First, the human's very easy uh, to tell mm -hmm. uh, what their motivation is because all of us have history. And I was, um, I don't want to take a side thing, but I was talking to this international effort to set up an Aadhaar-like India stack system with payment systems, ID systems, all that. In India, I was suggesting to them they add reputation systems to it. Mm -hmm. So you build up reputation. It, it, it suddenly pays to be good, uh, not pays to be bad because you can get away with it. Yeah. Reputation systems are going to be very important. Uh, but, uh, sorry, I lost your question. What are those telltale markers of how we identify? So I, I do think reputation systems are really important. Uh, we look at it very, very carefully at entrepreneurs uh, when we invest. But I'm very clear, we're probably the only ventures fund that says to our LPs, if we have more, if we can have more impact and lower returns, we will do that every single time. Mm -hmm. That's in my slide deck to my LPs. Um, I'm very clear, it's much more fun to work on those, uh, and frankly, makes me a bigger hero with my kids, and that's all I mostly <laughs> care about. That is, so I sense a theme here. I actually used this metric of would my kids approve an investment if it was successful almost every day, because so, they actually uh, kick me <laughs> in the shins every time I make something that they're not happy with. How old are your kids? Uh, in their 30s. And they still kick you in the shins. Yeah. All right. That probably hurts. So, so the theme I hear here between your kids' estimate, and, and hopefully we all can put our ideas in front of your kids and get their opinion, um, and uh, this reputation systems, content authenticity, and this idea that human storytelling and, and human trust matters is uh, a theme that I, that I, maybe I'm being self-serving here because we believe in this as Adobe, but is this that idea that as AI becomes ubiquitous and available to all of us, the human element is still the differentiator yeah. here. So, yeah. great. Thank you. <laughs> it's a great way to wrap up. Thank you very much.